you have a Bible with you, you'd like to turn to the book of Colossians, in chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible and would like to follow in your own copy, if you'd like to just raise a hand, then someone will bring one to you. Just keep your hand up for a while. There's only a couple of people, so they'll just take time to see where you are and bring one to you. And maybe wave a hand if you can't hear me very well as well. Okay, right. We'll see how that goes. Maybe it's just me speaking softly. I'll try and do better. Um, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, the ESV. That's going to be coming up on the screen. Uh, Many of you might have the NIV in front of you. Um, Again, what I'd like to do is read from the ESV, but sometimes we'll refer to what it says in the NIV if it just gives a slightly different flavour of what the original text means. So uh, we'll, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll kind of pick up both if there are some different words that are used at different parts. We're going to start from Colossians 2, uh, reading from verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, Do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We've looked at a few weeks at... uh, the section that develops in chapter 2 of Colossians, where, where Paul is really kind of coming to the crunch issue uh, for this uh, group of believers, this church in Colossae. Obviously, he's been writing to them. He's been uh, encouraging them about why he's, uh, he, why he's encouraged. He's encouraged about them uh, having heard of their faith and having heard of the love that they have for all the saints. And he's been telling them about Jesus, just bringing their attention towards him. And then more recently, he's been really starting to nail... Uh, nail some issues. Right at the beginning, he's, he's thankful for the fruit that's evident, and he's thankful for the, for the love that's evident and for the faith that's evident. What made the difference, what transformed this group of people and goes on transforming in, verse one, uh, in chapter 1, verse 6, is, in the, is where it speaks here that they heard and understood the grace of God. In truth, that is what they've heard and understood, the grace of God in truth or God's grace in all its truth. And that's what's begun to absolutely radically transform this group of people. That's what Paul has heard about. There's fruit of that. A change has taken place. Life is springing up. A wonderful new life has begun for these believers. 
And, um, and that's what he's so thankful about. And then he comes on to move on. There is an issue to look at. Uh, there is a, there's a warning to give. This is, he says in a sense, this is, you're like a healthy tree. The word was sown amongst you and life sprang up like a tree that has grown in, in good soil. And it started to grow and it's just started to, to bear fruit. You're like a good, healthy tree. And they're a good, healthy tree because of this message of grace that's come. They've understood something about God's grace. They've understood something about how it is that we relate with God. When, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he elaborates on what this word of grace is, what this message of grace is. And in Ephesians 2, uh, or if we read there, Ephesians 2 from verse 4, God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So there we have it, this, this word, this message of grace. The Ephesians heard it, the Colossians heard it, and life is transformed as a result of it. People have heard and understood the way we relate to God, the way we're saved and set free is not an account of our works. It's not an account of what we've done to, to earn or deserve. God, by his lavish grace, has given us a wonderful gift. Now we're able to relate to him. We're able to come before him. We're able to enjoy his presence. We're able to, to pray before him. All because of what Jesus has done for us. It's God's grace. It's something that's undeserved. God didn't wait for us to deserve forgiveness, to deserve God's kindness, before he decided to show us grace and show us favour and show us mercy. If he had waited for the time when we deserved his favour and his kindness, then he would still be waiting. And he would always be waiting because we would never earn it. We'd never deserve it. That's what the Colossians have heard. Our life just springs up. There's freedom. There's faith. And it even affects not only their relationship with God, but their relationship with one another. Because they're aware of the fact that all their sins have been removed and now God just deals with them so graciously. People are gracious with one another. Where forgiveness is needed, we're aware, oh, well our massive huge debts before God has been cleared. It makes perfect logical sense, therefore, for us to be gracious and forgiving with one another. This is what the Colossians have received. This is what every true church has received. A message of the grace of God in truth. We're free from trying to impress God to earn his favour. We're free from trying to live up to Uh, The perfect holy standards. No, Jesus has fulfilled that for us. And now we're free to enter into relationship with God. So it's like a tree that's planted by, uh, by a stream of living water. And it just grows up. And it just starts to bear fruit. There's life there. So as we've been looking here at the fact that Paul is then starting to nail some issues. It's in that context. It's like, that's where you started. That's what you've heard That's the good life that you've received. And now, whilst it's still health, it's still a good tree, 
bearing fruit is just starting to get tangled at the bottom by something else that's growing up around it. And you might remember uh, weeks ago in the summer when we first uh, looked at the first verses in, in Colossians, used that image. There's this wonderful, healthy tree, but there's just something starting to grow up. Some bindweed that's starting to perhaps just wrap around the, the lower branches. And if that bindweed is allowed to continue to grow, then it will start to choke the life of that tree. It will start to restrict the freedom that God intends for us. It will start to restrict the way we relate with Him. And it will start to restrict the way we relate with other people. Now, Paul didn't start by, by kind of addressing this issue straight away. He started by saying, I'm thanking God for you. And I'm praying for you that you'd receive more. And he starts by then going on to talk about Christ and who Jesus is. That's what he wants to lift their attention to. But there is a time to address the issue. There is a time to get rid of that bindweed. And just interesting in John's word, it's like saying today. Today is a time of decision making. Today is a time to to say, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. Maybe today is a time for for cutting away and, and throwing away things that distract, things that are trying to hinder the life of God. And there's quite a, a poetic and well-known uh, few verses in the book of Ecclesiastes, which, which goes on to say something like this. In, in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, it begins there, Ecclesiastes 3 from verse 1. For everything there is a season... And a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Something good has been planted. Now it's time to pluck up something else that has been planted that really is going to stifle the growth of what is good. Now we see kind of hints about what Paul is getting at as he as he goes on, he's already said in verse 8 of chapter 2, you know, see to it that no one takes you captive. He wants to bring their attention to some unhelpful philosophies and ideas that have been coming their way. And because they've been paying attention to, uh, to false teaching, unhelpful uh, teaching, there are a number of, of unhealthy practices that are starting amongst them. <clears throat> Because they're getting hold of teaching that isn't helpful, what is, that's reflected in, in the things that are happening amongst them. What they believed is affecting what they're doing. And, um, and there's a number of unhealthy things that Paul refers to. Things that, on first reading, just sound a bit bizarre. So there seem to be, amongst the Colossians, very strict rules, uh, first of all, about diet about what they should eat and drink, about food and drink. So it says there in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Later on in verse 21, it seems that Paul is quoting some of the rules um, that the Colossians have been taught. Uh, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Very, very stringent rules, very strict rules. I know you can't, you can't eat that. You can't drink that. It's almost like, can you imagine going downstairs and um, after our meeting and say, oh, can I have a, 
a coffee, please. No, we don't do coffee here. Why? Because it's wrong. Uh, can I have a cup of tea then? No, 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 sorry, you can't have a cup of tea because it's wrong. What can I have? You can just have water. Why? That's random. Um, there's nothing uh, absolutely wrong with a, any specific drink before God. So strict rules about diet, strict rules about special days, about festivals, new moon celebrations, uh, the Sabbath. Very strict rules about observing particular festivals. Now, there's nothing wrong, per se, with celebrating special events. But this is like a strict rule that stipulates almost like you have to do this to please God. You have to do this to, to stay fruitful. So there's those things. Something else that is mentioned, um, there are people that are going on about insisting on uh, worship of angels. What is that about? Does that mean um, people think they have to worship angels as well as God? Or maybe that in some way they think that they are, they're kind of literally becoming angelic and so joining in with, with angels in some very mystical and strange way. Something else that is quite bizarre amongst them. This word here, something else. Asceticism. A bizarre word, and that's why sometimes it's helpful to look at other translations, like the NIV, which says false humility. Uh, it goes on in verse 18 to refer to harsh treatment or severe treatment, severity to the body. It starts to suggest an idea that amongst the Colossians, um, there's a strong emphasis on, on, on self-denial, of, of denying yourself certain things, becoming more pure by denying yourself, maybe dis- denying yourself certain foods. Um, perhaps with an emphasis here that by denying themselves stuff, they thought that they could gain uh, certain spiritual experiences. They thought that they would become more holy or maybe they'd start getting visions and dreams uh, by fasting. Oh, marvellous. Uh, is it that obvious? Um, <laughs> So the idea that by denying ourselves something, we can, we can gain certain spiritual experiences. Uh, and again, fasting, not wrong in itself. But the idea is wrong if it leads us to boast in what we're doing. Boasting in, well, I got this experience, I received some special spiritual experience uh, because of something that I've denied myself. So these are some of the things that are going on. And Paul is addressing them. And saying these are threatening to choke the life out of this church. Okay, so how, how do we understand this? Why, why do we need to know what was going on in Colossians? And we need to know for this reason. What started with grace, what started with being aware of this wonderful freedom, this relationship that God had brought us into, could drift into something else. And it could drift into what is sometimes referred to as legalism. And some has defined legalism as trying to earn God's love through achieving a certain level of good deeds and avoiding certain sins. And we received God's love, we received it freely by His grace. We didn't deserve it, but then what can creep in, what, can, what we can drift in, is an idea... Um, that to go further in relationship with God, or even in order to kind of keep what we've got, we've got to try earning God's love. 
And at this point, thank you, Jen, I will take a sip of water. Legalism is like this bindweed that is choking the life out of the Colossians and threatens to, th- to choke the life out of any church. Seems to show itself, from this passage here in Colossians, it seems to reveal itself in two ways. And the first way, I'd suggest, is by, by puffing up. It says in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. There are certain people who are insisting on certain things. They're insisting on certain uh, rules, on certain experiences. And it refers to them being puffed up. Kind of a, a proud response. So rather than understanding God's grace, they see themselves primarily on the receiving end of blessings, of of visions, of spiritual experiences, even with angels, because of their achievement in some way. They've achieved, they think, they've achieved something, and that puffs them up. They might feel quite good about themselves. They might quite feel quite special about themselves. Oh, I've received a vision. Oh, I, I've received a prophetic word from God. I've received something from God, and uh, I must really be pleasing him, therefore. He must be really satisfied with how I'm approaching him. I must be doing something very right because he's decided that I've earned this, this thing, whatever it might be, some vision, some special experience. Therefore, it leads to this puffing up response. It leads to boastfulness, uh, which therefore tends to look down on others that don't appear to be achieving in the same way. Now there you see, sometimes our relationship with God, how we understand our relationship with God, therefore affects how we relate with other people. If I think that I've earned something before God, and therefore I've received some special experience, I then look around, or one, you know, we could then look around, someone else has not received that experience, and actually that affects our relationship, because then I'm, I, we're almost like in competition. Uh, I'm, I'm comparing myself with someone else. And wrongly assuming that God is more favourable towards me than them. That then affects how I relate with people, or could do. And so friction develops, and unease. There's insecurity in friendships and relationships because of that reason. Uh, That kind of puffing up that takes place. So it's possible for us to receive a blessing, a gift from God, and then turn it into something that we deserved. Almost pretend it's something that we deserved. I was uh, reading this week a um, book by a well-known kind of pastor teacher within the, the family of churches that we relate to, New Frontiers, who was writing on the subject of kind of grace and legalism. And he, re- he told a story of uh, flying to India, which he'd done a couple of times. And he'd always gone economy class. He's always gone standard, squashed up, kind of sardine, um, not very comfortable. He'd always gone in those kind of uh, those kind of seats, and then once, as he approached the plane, as he approached the check-in, I said, "Actually, um, there's a space for you. We'd like to upgrade you. As a, you know, it won't cost you anything. We'd like to upgrade you. Would you like to go into business class?" Wow! So he goes into the plush surroundings of business class. Um, Extra legroom, a wider seat, more comfortable, more space. Someone kind of there to attend to your every whim and desire. Would you like some more, sir? Would you like this, sir? Would you like that, sir? It's like, wow, what a wonderful, wonderful blessing. 
And even, it sounds bizarre, but he, he tells how they came round with kind of complimentary gifts. And you could choose a complimentary little gift. Um, and there were, there were little, he chose a, a, a kind of a figurine, a, a, a glass cat, this little model of a cat. And they thought, oh, that's, that's nice, I'll, I'll keep that. He tucked it into the seat in front of him and just left it at that. Lady sat next to him, an Indian lady, kind of points to what he's just received. Well, yeah, it's just there. They can't really converse in English. Neither of them uh, speak the same language. Um, so he gets it out of the, the pouch to show her. She takes it, opens her handbag, drops it in, closes it again. You see, that's outrageous. And so he can't, di- he can't have any dialogue with her because it's, uh, it's then difficult. Hang on a minute, that was, that was mine. I received that. I want it back. But there's, there's no way of having that conversation. He felt... God showing him, talking to him, therefore, about grace. I gave you a gift. That whole package, that whole trip, it was just a gift. And then you've turned it into something. No, it's mine. I earned it. I deserved it. I want it back. And so he he comments on that, that we can turn a blessing, we can turn a gift that we've received from God into something that we've deserved. And there again, it kind of alienates the relationship between two people. No, it should be mine. Give it back. Give it back. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, um, incidentally, it seems that you know, often, when Paul was writing these letters, uh, often it is to address problems. It is, addressed, it is there to address issues that have cropped up. Uh, and so, addressing the, the Corinthians, there's, there's divisions amongst them. And... Um, that maybe is the evidence of kind of legalism getting in. So he asked the question there in, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Uh, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So there's that idea. We've received something from God. Wonderful blessing. We can be boastful or we can look down on other people as though we received it because of our merits. No, it was a gift. It was always a gift. It will always be a gift. We boast not in our deserving the gift, but we boast in the one who's given the gift. And we're thankful to him. So there's this kind of puffing up response that seems to be taking place. There's people that maybe are starting to influence the Colossian church, getting puffed up with notions of, there are these rules, you've got to keep these rules, And if you do, you go on to earn further spiritual blessing. What the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 5 is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So they might be thinking, we're getting puffed up, we are, we're achieving, we're developing in our relationship with God. We must be pleasing him in an extra special way because he's he's blessing us. And actually in so doing, they're, they're cutting themselves off. In verse 19 of Colossians, chapter 2, it says they're not holding fast to their head. They're not holding fast to Jesus. They might think they're doing well, and if we're in that situation, we might think we're doing well. But as soon as we start boasting in what we've earned or deserved, it actually starts to cut us off from the very source of life that we've been linked into, the Lord Jesus. And so God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, to those who realize, no, I've not deserved this. This is God's free and lavish gift. Jesus sees that kind of reaction, this puffing up reaction in the 
in the hearts of the Pharisees in, in Mark chapter 7. There we see uh, the Pharisees asking, asking questions of Jesus and his disciples because they've, because they've observed that those disciples aren't kind of sticking to the traditions that the elders, that people have passed down. It's not so much a case that they haven't been keeping to what God has said, but it's a matter of why, why, are, they, why are they not washing their hands before they eat? These extra rules have been added in by the Pharisees um, as though that's how we kind of should relate to God. And the response is from Jesus. Well, did Isaiah prophesy... This is in verse 6. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it was written, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines uh, the commandments of men. So they're honouring with lips on the outside, um, but on the inside, their hearts are far from him, far from, far from God. We want to worship God with our hearts close to him, just aware of his wonderful wonderful grace. So that is one response, that's one way in which legalism can show itself and that is by by puffing up and kind of making proud. Another way is this, uh, by disqualifying. And it's almost the, the, the counter of the other. Paul writes to the Colossians and says, let no one disqualify you. Because of what's happening, because of the, the emphasis on keeping strict rules and kind of keeping up appearances, as it were, people are starting to feel disqualified. People are starting to feel, oh, I don't, I don't belong here. I'm, I, I don't match up to this. I can't match up to these rules. I can't match up to these standards. And so start to feel condemned, start to feel inferior, start to feel, start to feel miserable. You know, one set of people observe these kind of slightly random rules and say, aren't we doing well? Aren't we, aren't we pleasing to God because of what we've earned and deserved? Other people observe the same random rules and say, oh, well, we're condemned then. We're, we're disqualified. We can't relate to God in that way. We, we must be out of it. Obviously, Paul writes them and say, no, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone give you the impression that you have to uh, achieve a certain amount of righteousness. Again, if it, if it weren't for the grace of God, God would still be waiting for us to deserve anything of his kindness. Don't, be, don't allow that line of thought to come in. Don't allow that to come in. And sometimes we can allow that to, to infiltrate our way of thinking. And it's almost then as though we can... And sometimes you kind of get the impression maybe this happens. If, if people are... When they're first saved... Like that tree, they first kind of started just to come to life. And they've, they recognize there's this relationship with God available. Um, and then maybe they just start to hear other ideas. And, and, and someone might say, well, you do realize now you should really be reading your Bible um, for this length of time every day. You should really be praying in this way. Um, and that's not to say that reading the Bible and praying are in themselves wrong. But it's the attitude that comes with it that suggests, do that to stay in God's good books. And it kind of evolves, therefore, into a payback mentality. We've received a wonderful gift in the first place, and now, oh, we have to earn it. 
now we have to pay God back. Well, I better read the word, I better do this, I better do that, because I need to pay God back. And we're always kind of living under this sense of, am I matching up? Am I pleasing to God? And we get into being, just feeling disqualified. And sometimes this happens um, amongst people. Again, it affects our relationship with God, but maybe we just start disqualifying ourselves. I'm not able to come before God, not able to pray, I'm not able to get anything out of the Word because I've not been, I've not been doing enough, I've not been going enough to enough meetings, I'm, I'm not sitting in the right places. All of these stuff kind of start to feed into this mentality of, of, of feeling disqualified. And again, that affects relationship with God because God wants us to be free to relate to Him. also affects relationship with one another. Uh, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about being a body together. We're all different parts, but we are one body together. And he says to the believers in, in Corinth, in, in 1 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 12, he starts to say, uh, there are some that might say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. You know, some might say, oh, I don't need you. If you're, if you're, an, if you're a foot, oh, I, I don't need you. Some people are getting puffed up, thinking more highly of themselves than they ought. Others thinking of themselves more lowly than they ought, um, disqualifying themselves. Ah, oh, well, I'm, I'm not a hand, I'm a foot. The hand just seems so sophisticated, so dexterous, so able to do many things. I'm, I'm just a foot. Uh, I can't hold a pen in my foot. I can't, I can't paint a picture with my foot. Um, and so I just feel inferior. But, but where would the body be without the feet, as well as the hand? Where would the body be without the, the eye and the ear? So Paul there in, in, to the Corinthians wants to get us across that we need to relate well to one another, recognizing that none of us are disqualified in his kingdom. None of us are, are kind of the very, very special parts of the body and those parts of the body that could just be cut off and discarded. No, we, we need everything. We need the whole body to be working and functioning well together. So there are two ways in which legalism can, can in a sense, rear its ugly head. By puffing up or by disqualifying. And it's almost like you can visualize that, the way I visualize that, it's like two, two sides of the same coin. The coin being legalism, one side being kind of proud and superior, the other side feeling uh, inferior and disqualified. And with any coin, you can flip it, catch it, ah, oh, heads, I feel good today, I've done well. I must have earned something in the presence of God. And we come to God on that basis. Or on another day, we flip the coin. Oh, it's tails. Oh, I don't think I've got anything with God today. I don't think he's pleased with me. I've not been living up to these rules, these certain standards. I look at other people and they seem to be really motoring on with God, even sharing stuff from the front. But I, 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 I haven't earned that this week. I've not, I've not managed to attain that this week. You see what that's like? We can just be flipping a coin. And you and I can flip a coin and it will be different every time. And so we're buffeted around, tossed to and fro by, by focusing too much on what our performance is like. Now, it's not that we never evaluate where we're at with God. But if that becomes the grounds for how confident we feel to approach God... Something's gone very wrong. Our confidence to come before God is based on what the Colossians first got hold of, the grace of God. 
the undeserved favour and kindness of God. This coin, as it were, this coin of legalism is a counterfeit. It's of no value. If we pay too much attention to it, we might feel great one day, but we'll feel rubbish the next day. Either way, we're not really enjoying the connection to Jesus that he wants us to have. That coin, like any counterfeit, needs to be discarded, needs to be handed in, needs to be thrown in the bin. You can't buy anything with a counterfeit coin. There's no value to it. There's no value in legalism. Sometimes we can think, we can slightly hedge our bets. I know it's by grace, but perhaps I'll do this just in case I need to earn a bit of favour. Maybe I'll do this just in case, and we're slightly unsure. No, there's no value. There is absolutely no value. If you're a gardener, there's no value really in having bindweed in your garden. It just wraps itself around the plants that you want to be there and chokes them and just gets in the way. No, bindweed needs to be dug out and got rid of. It needs to be burned. That counterfeit coin needs to be thrown out. That's what the Colossians need to do. That's what we need to do. Recognize if there's any way in which we're slipping into a way of relating to God on the basis of deserving something. Paul is writing to the Colossians because he wants them to be free from this. He's been praying about them continuing to grow, continuing to bear fruit, continuing to enjoy God's relationship relationship with God. And so he wants this to be dug out. He wants them to know that God desires us to be united with him where actually our hearts are involved. We're in a heart relationship with God. We're free to recognize that, no, we didn't deserve this. We didn't back then, and we don't now. But by grace, we continue to enjoy his presence and enjoy what he does amongst us. If he heals, when he heals, we've not deserved that. That's God being merciful and kind. When God answers our prayers, it's God being merciful and kind. When God breaks out amongst us and we're just aware of the tangible presence of God, we come in and it's just ordinary. We're just ordinary folks. We get together, but God's in our midst. And so we meet, we realize, we're starting to encounter God's presence together. We didn't earn that. We didn't deserve that. That's God being kind. That's God saying, I've given you a great gift. I just want to give you more. I want to lavish more upon you. And we want to be united to him. We want to be united to him because we want to continue growing. And wherever legalism creeps in, growth gets stifled. We want to grow in him, grow in our relationship with him. And Paul also wants them to be free of this bindweed because he wants this group of people to relate well together on the basis of God's grace, being strengthened by God's grace. It's time for us just to recognize some of these things. Obviously, we looked at that, those, that verse right at the beginning in Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything. Time to, be plant, time to plant, a time to dig up. And sometimes we just need to be aware. Hey, what's, what's growing at the moment? What is growing? My confidence in the grace of God or a feeling of being disqualified because I don't quite match up to a random list of rules that aren't biblical. What's growing up? What's, what's growing? Is it the tree that's growing? Is it the bindweed? If there's bindweed, let's get rid of it. A time for a decision today. A time to put trust in God again today. Not trusting in our own righteousness. Not trusting in our ability 
to, to earn any favour from God. No, we're trusting in who God is. We're trusting in Him. Trusting in Him to forgive us. We're trusting Him. We're going to draw a line and move on. Draw a line and move on in all that He has for us. And grow in the grace of God. Grow in enjoying God's grace together.